Hello there, um, we've got two Bible readings uh, today. Um, the first one is Psalm 36 from the Old Testament, and the second one is from the New Testament. It's 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. So uh, why don't you look that second one up first um, and um, put your finger in it uh, and then flip back to uh, the first one, Psalm 36, uh, which is what I'm going to do now. Um, so, there we go. Psalm 36. For the director of music, of David, the servant of the Lord. I have a message from God in my heart concerning the sinfulness of the wicked. There is no fear of God before their eyes. In their own eyes, they flatter themselves too much to detect or hate their sin. The words of their mouths are wicked and deceitful. They fail to act wisely or to do good. Even on their beds, they plot evil. They commit themselves to a sinful course and do not reject what is wrong. Your love, Lord, reaches to the heavens, your faithfulness to the skies. Your righteousness is like the highest mountains, your justice like the great deep. You, Lord, preserve both people and animals. How priceless is your unfailing love, O God. People take refuge in the shadow of your wings. They feast in the abundance of your house. You give them drink from your river of delights, for with you is the fountain of life. In your light we see light. Continue Continue your love to those who know you, your righteousness to the upright in heart. May the foot of the proud not come against me, nor the hand of the wicked drive me away. See how the evildoers lie fallen, thrown down, not able to rise. And now, on to 1 Peter chapter 2. Verses 11 and 12. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that, though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Well, kids, if you have activities through from Darren, then now's the time to get going with those. The rest of us, keep your Bibles open at 1 Peter chapter 2. And let me read the passage once more. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us.
I wonder how you feel about being different. Last week, Richard introduced us to the children's story about Sporky, the little spork who felt different to the rest of the cutlery. Now, a few of us can imagine what it's like to be a spork, but lots of us will know what it's like to be a foreigner in a different country. You know what it's like, you discover all sorts of things that they do differently to how you've always done things, how they greet you, how they eat, how they speak. And then the question is, are you gonna stay different or are you going to conform and blend in with how things are done? This came home to me a few years ago. I'm a foreigner myself from Northern Ireland. And a few years ago, um, uh, a new guy visited my church who was also from Northern Ireland. Uh, I was really chuffed. I thought, another Northern Irishman, we've got loads in common to talk about from home. So we got chatting. I wanted to welcome him to church. So we got chatting for about 10 minutes about all the things we missed from Northern Ireland. I was really enjoying it. Until that is, 10 minutes into our conversation, he turns around and says to me, so have you ever been to Northern Ireland? Well, all time low. Apparently my accent had taken more of a battering than I thought. I'd conformed without even realizing it. Well, here's the headline for us this morning from 1 Peter. You are different, so live differently to make a difference. You are different, so live differently to make a difference. Let's talk about the first part of that. You are different, so live differently. Take a look at verse 11 again, and notice how Peter addresses his readers. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles. How do you think of yourself? Some of us know what it's like to be foreigners in a foreign country, but even if not, Peter says that Christians should think of themselves this way, as foreigners and exiles. Because if we're trusting in Jesus this morning, then where we are right now isn't our home. Heaven is our real home. We're citizens of a heavenly country. There's a great illustration of this in John Bunyan's classic tale, The Pilgrim's Progress. The story starts with Christian living in the city of destruction. But then Christian hears the gospel and trusts in Christ and is given a new home in the celestial city. And the rest of Christian's story is his journey to his new heavenly home with lots of ups and downs along the way. And like Christian in Pilgrim's Progress, everyone trusting in Christ is a pilgrim passing through this world on their way to their new heavenly home. But here's the thing, if heaven's our home, then right now we're away from home. We're not yet where we belong. Like Peter says, we're foreigners and exiles. One blessing of this pandemic is that it reminds us Christians that we're not yet at home. This world as it is right now isn't our home. And thank God that we've got more to look forward to. But it does raise the urgent question, as foreigners, how do we live away from home? How should we live in a culture that rejects Christianity where all kinds of lifestyles are up for grabs? 
How should Christians live in an alien world? Well, Peter says, you are different, so live differently. I'm sure lots of us have heard people say things like, Christian, dare to be different. And there's a lot of good in that. But at the deepest sense, Christians don't need to dare to be different. We are different. God has brought us into his people. We are foreigners and exiles. We don't belong. We don't fit in here. And being different means we should live differently. This is why it's so important how we think about ourselves. If we think of ourselves as belonging to this world and being at home here, then we'll just live like everyone else around us. But if we think of ourselves as foreigners and exiles with our real home in heaven, then we'll live differently. We'll live in line with our heavenly country instead of taking our cue from the culture around us. And living differently works out in two ways, negatively and positively. The negative is there in verse 11. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. We don't like saying no to our desires, do we? There's a fantastic video online called The Marshmallow Experiment, where a child is left alone in a room with a marshmallow and told, don't eat the marshmallow. And as the minutes kick on by, we watch as an epic struggle of self-control unfolds in that room. We do not like saying no to our desires. And our culture doesn't help, does it? Our culture tells us to give free rein to our desires. It's right and good to do what we want. It's damaging and unhealthy to say no to our desires. And Christianity is by no means anti-desire. There are all sorts of good desires that we're to enjoy and indulge in. But unlike our culture, the Bible is clear that there are sinful desires that we can and must abstain from. Desires that are self-centered and excessive, desires that are out of control. And here Peter doesn't tell us what he has in mind, but we get a clue in chapter four when he describes his readers' pre-Christian lifestyle as being full of lust, drunkenness, idolatry, and wild partying, which sounds very contemporary, for something written nearly 2,000 years ago, right? Lust, drunkenness, idolatry, wild partying. That could describe a typical Friday night for much of our, our culture, couldn't it? Well, then as now, that stuff was in fashion in the surrounding culture, and Peter's Christian readers were under pressure to join in as we are today. But God's word to his people is that we must say no to those kinds of desires in us and around us. I wonder, how are you doing with that? Are you in the habit of saying no to sinful desires? Or are you just going along with the flow? To use an image, are you more like a dolphin or a jellyfish? Let me explain what I mean. See, 
We're all swimming in the sea of our culture, and in our culture there are strong currents pulling us in different directions, some of them bad directions. Now a dolphin is able to swim against the currents, it proactively decides to go a certain direction against the direction in which it's being pulled. But a jellyfish just goes with the flow. Wherever the currents take it, that's where it goes, along with the rest. Which are you more like, a dolphin or a jellyfish? Or maybe you're caught somewhere in the middle, not indulging in sinful desires as fully as the people around you, but, but at the same time not, not really abstaining either, um, creeping up as close to the edge as you can, blurring the lines. Well, if so, we need to hear Peter's warning that these desires aren't good for us. They wage war against your soul. They're like false friends, false friends who seem to offer you a good time but are secretly taking advantage of you. We have to say no to these desires. Our spiritual lives depend on it. To bring us back to the bigger point, Christians are different, foreigners, exiles. Heaven is our home. And living in step with our heavenly country will mean being out of step with the surrounding culture. There are some things our culture says yes to that we must say no to. But that's just one side of living differently. I wouldn't want us to think that the Christian life is only about abstaining and avoiding, as if there's an ideal Christian somewhere living in a room by themselves, sealed off from the world, not doing anything at all. A bit like locked on, I suppose. No, because what Peter says in verse 11, he follows up positively in verse 12. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans. Isn't that wonderful? There's a compromised culture out there with sinful stuff that we need to reject. But Peter doesn't say, lock down the hatches and pull up the drawbridge, stay safe. No, he says, get out there and live such beautiful lives alongside your non-Christian neighbors and colleagues and friends and family. That's all pagans means, by the way, people who aren't yet God's people. And as Christians, as ex-pagans, God calls us to live as his people in all of life. Lives that non-Christians see us living in public, Lives that shine with the glow of our heavenly home. Lives that show not just what we're against as Christians, but what we're for. Good deeds of love, humility, and patience. Lives like Christ's. And over the next couple of weeks, we'll get Peter uh, filling out what this good life looks like that God calls us to live in society. But let's bring this down to earth by imagining something. Let's imagine two Christians who work in the same office and who react differently when the office goes out for a night out to the pub. I'll describe each of them, and then I'd like you to decide which one gets it right and which one gets it wrong. Okay, the first one is called Charlie. 
As soon as the infight goes around, Charlie is in. He loves getting stuck in with his non-Christian mates, and when they're at the pub, Charlie's the life and soul of the party. But one drink turns into two drinks, and then three drinks, and then Charlie loses count. And the next morning, he has a hazy memory of, of something happening with a female colleague. And however he plays it back, he knows that he's doing stuff on those Friday nights with his non-Christian mates that he'd never do on Sundays with his Christian mates. That's Charlie. Then there's Wilma. Wilma Wilma's still at home while her workmates are out at the pub. When the invite went wrong, she ignored it um, because she didn't want to go. Not because alcohol is a, a particular issue for her and it would be unwise to go to a pub, but because she could imagine the sordid stuff her colleagues might get up to and she'd just rather be away from them. Actually, if she does socialize, it's only ever really with Christians. So now she's sitting at home, keeping to herself, watching something innocuous on TV while her work workmates are out at the pub. That's Wilma. I wonder which of Charlie or Wilma can you relate more to? So the big question, who got it right and who got it wrong? Well, you might have realized that it's a bit of a trick question, really. Charlie, Charlie's among the pagans, all right. But he's not living differently, is he? You'd never guess from his lifestyle that he's any different to his colleagues. And Wilma, Wilma's abstaining from sinful desires, all right. But is she living such a good life among the pagans either? The Christian life is more than just the absence of sin. It's the presence of good deeds. So here's a third portrait, Alex, who goes to the party and gets stuck in, but avoids getting drunk, either by stopping well before their limit or just sticking to soft drinks, and who offers to help a colleague who drunkenly admits that they're really struggling, who pays for their taxi fare home, and who calls them to check up, uh, check up on them the next day. That's just imaginary, but, but here's the point. You are different, so live differently by saying no to sinful desires. You are different, so live differently by living such a good life among the pagans. We're going to sing. If there's a particular area the Lord has brought to mind where you need to live differently, either by abstaining from sinful desires or living such a good life among the pagans, then sing this song as a prayer, asking God to help you live his way. Let's sing. We're back in 1 Peter chapter 2, and here's the headline. You are different, so live differently to make a difference. Before we looked at the first part of that, you are different, so live differently. Now let's look at the second part. Live differently to make a difference. Glance at what Peter says in verse 12. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. What a motive to live differently. Peter says that if Christians live Christian lives publicly, some non-Christians will see our good lives and end up becoming Christians themselves and worshiping God on the last day. Wow, what a motive to live differently. 
But as I say that, I can imagine a blocker arising in people's minds. Michael, you say that non-Christians will notice how good Christians are and be won over, but our culture, our culture doesn't see Christians as the good guys. In our culture, Christians are more and more seen as the bad guys, as the ones who are intolerant, homophobic, transphobic. In fact, just this week, someone from our church family has been labeled with that kind of stuff and, and threatened on social media. Now, that kind of experience is horrible. It hurts. Whoever said, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never, never hurt me, clearly didn't know what they were talking about. Words, accusations do really hurt. But as hurtful as they are, they needn't dishearten us when we're accused of doing wrong as Christians. Let me say four quick things on that. First, if we're accused of doing wrong as Christians, Peter says it's exactly what we should expect. Verse 12, though they accuse you of doing wrong. It's not nice, but it is normal to be labeled as an evildoer if you're a Christian. Second, when we're accused of doing wrong, it's nothing new. Societies have accused Christians of being the bad guys from the very start. That's why Peter had to write this way back then. Early Christians were accused of awful things, of murder, cannibalism, incest, of undermining their culture. They were taken to court for what they believed. One Roman historian of the time says they were hated for their vices. So when we're labeled as evildoers, don't be thrown off balance as if it's some new thing Christians haven't had to handle before. No, it's not. It's not new. It's business as usual. Third, when we're accused of doing wrong as Christians, it's just not that simple. Now, I want to be careful here. Christians do get things wrong, and sadly, the church has been responsible for awful stuff. Some serious accusations against Christians will be true. And when we're accused of something, our knee-jerk reaction shouldn't be to defend ourselves, but to ask whether the accusation has a point. But at the same time, to accuse Christians generally of being the bad guys just isn't true. Uh, this week, I got this book, Dominion, by Tom Holland. Tom Holland is a historian, not a Christian. But in this book, he says that if you look at what pre-Christian societies were like, and then look at how they changed when Christianity gained a foothold, you can see that Christians had a wonderful impact on their societies. And he says that some of the best things in our society, the welfare state, protection of children, basic human rights, these things didn't spring up out of nowhere. No, they, they grew in Christian soil and have deep Christian roots. See, when Christians are true to their heavenly country, they make their earthly country better, not worse. Again, Christians get things wrong, but it's simply not true to brand all Christians 
as the bad guys. In fact, it's slander. And that brings us to the final thing. False accusations aren't the end of the story. The early Christians were accused of doing wrong. And what happened? Verse 12, they lived such good lives among the pagans, acts of kindness, rescuing and taking in babies that were abandoned, caring for the sick that no one else cared for. And though they were accused of doing wrong, the watching world saw their good deeds and lots of them became Christians themselves, tons of them, enough to turn an empire upside down. The very people who'd been slandering them won over by their good lives. Maybe that's your story. Maybe the thing that got you interested in Christianity was noticing how Christians live differently. Maybe that could be your story. Perhaps you're, you're not sure about Christianity yet, but you've noticed that Christians, for all their faults, live differently. There, there's a different quality to their lives. Well, if that's you, then, then keep going. Um, push into why they're living that way. Ask them. Maybe God could use you to change someone's story. Someone who accuses Christians of being the bad guys. But instead of retreating or blending in or hitting back, you go on steadily living such a good life alongside them that over the years, they see your good deeds and in the end come to glorify God in Christ. God can do it. If you're anything like me, you feel like an inadequate evangelist, very much so. How could I ever make a difference? Well, left to ourselves, we couldn't. But God is well able to use our good deeds to win worshipers for himself. And ultimately, when we live differently in order to make a difference, we're walking in the footsteps of Jesus. Jesus lived the most beautiful life, was horribly accused, but through his goodness has won countless people to salvation. And when we weather unjust accusations and live such a good life around the very people who accuse us in the hope of saving them, we are walking in Jesus' footsteps. Let's finish with God's word. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for including us in your people, for making us different foreigners, exiles with heaven as our home. And Father, please give us all we need to live differently, to live as your people. And we pray the result would be that you are glorified and worshipped by people who look on and are one to Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.